we have that, um, that uh, chorus that you put up that had the stars in the sky. Is that too hard to throw that up there? There was a song we had with, that had stars as the background. Yeah, overcome. Yeah, there it is. See the stars? There was this uh, <laughs> uh, old farmer went out uh, camping with this young uh, geologist. Not geologist, astrologist. There we go. And uh, so he, he takes him out and they're camping and so on. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and they, you know, look at the stars, and he wakes up the astrologist and says, what do you see? He says, well, it's, uh, astronomically, we see the stars and the skies and the solar systems. Theologically, we see the hand of God creating all this, and he's going through all this stuff. Then he looks at the old farmer and says, what does it mean to you? And the old farmer says, somebody stole our tent. <laughs> so... <laughs> Sometimes I just get inspired, you know. <laughs> I see things, you know. <laughs> you wouldn't call that inspiration, though, would you? <laughs> so. Well, today, um, I thought we'd, <clears throat> going into the new year, one of the most important things that we can give, you know, talk about New Year's resolutions and New Year's this and other things, uh, one of the greatest things we can give is encouragement. And um, the title of the message is Give Courage. Now, giving courage or encouragement is not instructions. Let me tell you what you need to do with, your new, with the new year. <laughs> Sorry, that's not it. Uh, encourage means that we find, we find reasons and we find the good in, in what's going on. You know, um, I, I think this year is going to be one of our best years as a church. And I'm not just saying that because it's this Sunday and there's hundreds of people waiting in line to get in the door, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I believe that, that it's going to be a good year, a great year for the church and for our church family and for the whole perspective because you just have that feeling, you have that um, kind of an inner, uh, an inner peace, an inner understanding, and you know, if I'm wrong next year at this time, you can say, Pastor, you were wrong. Okay, well, then I'll believe it for next year. But, uh, but the idea is that we, we give ourselves courage. You know, David, it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord, that he had reached a point in his life that uh, things had gone wrong and people had deserted him. He's anointed to be king of Israel and he's fleeing for his life and everybody that was surrounding him and helping him is gone and he's by himself with his dreams, and uh, somebody stole his tent, you know? Everything's gone, except his understanding that God was with him, and the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord, meaning he picked himself up by his own bootstraps. So we have this idea of courage, and being courageous doesn't mean that we don't see things for what they are. You see, being blind doesn't make us courageous. You know, not seeing obstacles doesn't make us courageous, you know, just, it's like the, I, I know I've told you this one, but <laughs> uh, the, the, the Sunday school teacher was talking to the class and saying, you know, about how uh, a Lot and his wife left Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, she looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. You know, a little boy says, well, that's nothing. My mom looked back and she turned into a telephone pole. So, <laughs> So, 
Uh, that's two, wow. So anyhow, we, we look at these things. Be, not seeing something doesn't mean we have courage, all right? So being blind to the events around us does not mean we have courage. Encouragement is we see things and we understand things, we under the complications or the simplicity, but that we see them and with what, with what we see, we also understand something else. And the understanding of something else is understanding that God has a will, a purpose, his word, that he speaks to our hearts and minds, and we accompany the two of those together. And so in the midst of the difficulties, we have hope, we have courage, we have the ability to face it, to deal with it, uh, to, um, in all things, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, meaning that we are thankful that God is with us in this crisis or in this point, this place. So I, I'm, you're looking at how that God is going to, he, God, is going to speak his word into our life to help us in this moment or in any moment that may come that we're going to be safe, we're going to be taken care of, and it's all okay. So we are then looking at that. Now, in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 19, we have um, a, the great encourager, and we're going to talk about him uh, briefly. And so we'll read it. Saul spent a few days getting acquainted in, with the Damascus disciples. So Saul has had his, uh, his uh, Damascus Road experience. He has been knocked to the ground by the light and Christ spoke to him, and his life has been changed. The blind, his blindness has um, fallen off of his eyes, and um, he has been prayed for, and he, he recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. And he was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, to imprison those who believed in Christ, and he was going to, you know, rake, continue to wreak havoc on the church. But after he met Jesus, and he began to, his life changed completely from being a, an opposition to the church as now being a disciple of Christ. So he became acquainted with the Damascus disciples, but, but then he went right to work, wasting no time preaching in the meeting places that Jesus was the Son of God. He had an immediate change that Christ came to him and, you know, Saul, Saul, why, why do you kick against the pricks? Why do you keep kicking against me? You know, why do you keep kicking against the truth? And, you know, and he, he asks, no, who are you, Lord? It's, well, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you persecute. So the disciples then in Jerusalem, they, excuse me, in Damascus, they were caught off guard by this and not at all sure that they could trust him. Okay? So they thought Paul's, Paul's got a plot here. This Saul, excuse me, Saul, he has a plot here. He's trying to preach and get us all in one place, and then he's going to arrest us all and kill us, you know? So they thought, you know, Saul was up to no good. They kept saying, so these are the disciples and people in Damascus, uh, isn't this the man who wrecked havoc in Jerusalem and all believers? And didn't he come here to do the same thing, arrest us and drag us off to jail in Jerusalem for sentencing by the high priest, but their suspicious, their suspicions didn't slow Saul down for even a minute. His momentum was up, and now he was plowed straight into the opposition, disarming the Damascus Jews and trying to show them that this Jesus was the Messiah. After this had gone, after this had gone on quite a long time, some Jews conspired to kill him. <laughs> okay, so if 
if he's really one of these disciples, we always got a solution for that. We'll kill him. But Saul got wind of it. They were watching the city gates around the clock so they could kill him. Then one, of the, then one night the disciples engineered his escape and lowered him over the wall in a basket. So the guys who plotted to kill Saul waited at the gate. You know, there's no way to get out unless you go through the gate. Well, Saul went down over the wall in a basket. Well, meantime, back in Jerusalem, <laughs> I like that, <laughs> you know, back in Jerusalem, um, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't trust him one bit. Then Barnabas. Barnabas took him under his wing. He introduced him to the apostles and stood up for him, told them how Saul had been, how, how Saul had seen and spoken to the master on the Damascus road, and how in Damascus itself he had laid his life on the line with his bold preaching in Jesus' name. So we have, we have Saul here with a change of heart meeting up with Barnabas. And Barnabas is this, this guy who is known as the encourager. You know, if you, my friend or one of my teachers from, uh, from seminary and professors and uh, over the years, he, he had what he called a Barnabas ministry. And his Barnabas ministry was he traveled all over the world with teams, and that's the guy I went to Africa with two different times. Um, he traveled all over the world with different teams, bringing different preachers together and taking them to different places throughout Africa and South America to uh, minister to the local people, to the local preachers and things. So he had what he called uh, the Barnabas Ministries. And he had his difficulties. One night, um, traveling back from some remote village, he was broadsided by a train <laughs> and almost killed. So here he is out in the middle of nowhere, a uh, car demolished, and he's laying alongside of the road. <laughs> so he survived that. Finally, hours later, someone, someone found him. And uh, he survived that, but he didn't stop going back to, to Africa and, and so on. So, but that was his ministry. His, his name was David Wins. Um, but encourage means to find courage. Encouragement means to find courage. So where do we find courage? It's under the book on the shelf on the left-hand side. There's a pamphlet. You pick it up, and it's courage. You pick that up, and it's... <laughs> Where do we find courage? How do we come up with courage? Uh, well, maybe, we should, maybe I should ask the question, how do we find fear? <laughs> Just let your imagination go. <laughs> you know, how do we find that things are impossible while we see what's going to go wrong? Um, how are we going to be able to do this? How is this going to work out? We start questioning, and it's good to find questions. It's good to answer our questions, and God doesn't have a problem with us asking questions. It's whenever we allow our questions to develop into fears and our fears to develop into uh, a paralyzing moment, you know, deer-in-the-headlight type thing. So encouragement, then, is to find courage, to, to find a, a way to look at something, you know, a perspective. I, I think that um, our fear comes from a perspective. Fear comes from a perspective, but so does courage. See, God doesn't say uh, to be blind and pretend that something doesn't exist. He says, 
no, this does exist now. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to do this? How are we going to approach this? How are we going to solve this? And, you know, when, when uh, the children of Israel found themselves at the, at the sea <laughs> and, and uh, there was no way around them, the Egyptian army is behind them and the sea is in front of them. And Moses, you know, the people became frightened and they're, you know, would we should die back in Egypt. And what does Moses do? He prays and God gives him a, a sense of direction. So it isn't in our fears but it's in our faith that we find courage. And courage is dealing with the situation in a way that is healing for us. I remember the story of these missionaries. They were, I think they, these ones, I don't know if they were in Africa or South America or something. Uh, they were captured by a tribe that they had gone to minister to. And, of course, the tribe was going to kill them. So bound them up and, you know, had them, their hands and feet bound. And they had them bent over you know, to cut their heads off. And while they're bent over with their heads cut off, the other one says, says to them, can you imagine our heads rolling down the hill and popping against those logs down there? And they started laughing. That, they, that, they're, that, you know, they started laughing and joking about their heads rolling down the hill and running into a log. And they were laughing so much the people thought they were insane and they couldn't kill them then. <laughs> Yeah, they're insane. We can't, then their spirits will come and get us if we kill them. And they had to let him go. They let him go because they thought these two guys were insane. And, you know, but there in the moment, it was, you know, they're going to die. How do we get out of this God? Well, you know, start laughing. Yeah, right. But they, you know, so we see that sometimes our courage flies away from us because we don't see that God is with us. And or we don't see that the hand of God can sustain us. Um, isn't it odd that having courage is not, or not having courage has little to do with the things around us as much as, as it has with the things about us, how we think about these things? You know, our fears are generally um, surrounding our thoughts. You know, uh, there have been people afraid to go out of their house. I mean, I, I, I've had, I've had uh, counseled people years ago. I remember counseling people that, <laughs> well, they were afraid to go out of their house, so their friend came to see me so that I, they could tell them how to do <laughs> to get out of their house, you know. Um, but it was just one of those things. People were afraid to get out of, to move beyond their little boundaries because they thought the world was going to end, you know, the chicken little mentality. Sky is falling, you know. Well, there are people who live like that, and we all have those types of fears to some degree it's in some ways. And generally, it's about our thoughts and our thoughts that have come to us and maybe legitimate situations. You know, people are afraid to fly. Why? Because there's been crash. There's been, there's been planes that crash. There are people who are afraid to go across bridges. There are people who are afraid to go through tunnels. There are people who are, you know afraid to ride in cars. People are afraid to, I, I remember I had one individual, he was afraid to uh, make left turns because if he had to stop at a light, if he ran into a place where there was a stoplight, bad things were going to happen. And so they, he always had to get somewhere by making right turns. And if he couldn't get there by making right turns, he wouldn't go. So 
And, and what was his reasoning? Well, he heard about or experienced something at some point in his life and made a great big phobia out of it, okay? Well, in our lives, what we think, we make these things up, and there is truth to it. And see, and the Bible is giving us the truth of the Scriptures to help us overcome these things. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We sang that. Okay? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for the remission of our sins so our, our soul and our life is clean. We have eternal life. And the word of our testimony is our, our experience with God and how that God has done something in our lives and through us in, in helping us or helping others. Excuse me. So uh, in Proverbs chapter 3, 23, verse 7, it says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so he is. So as a man thinketh in his heart, it's, that's what we become. So our thoughts, what we think, what we say, and what we do, they're all connected. And so this is not about, well, if you just think the right things, everything will go well. No, it isn't that. It is allowing the word of God, our faith in God, our understanding of that God has a plan for our life and our trust that God is going to work this out. Now, we don't, you know, it's like holding up a piece of a puzzle and saying, I know what the puzzle is. You know, I can solve this puzzle with one piece, you know, and it's a thousand-piece puzzle. <laughs> it's not going to work. But as you put the pieces together, we begin to see a pattern and that there's something being accomplished here. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God can put all of these things together in a picture, in a puzzle, to work out to a divine good. So we don't understand the puzzle. We just trust the person who is, we have put our life in contact with and entrusted ourselves to, which is Christ. So what you think, what you say, and what you do are all connected. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How do you think Jesus thought? You know, what were the thoughts of Jesus? You know, he doesn't, he doesn't tell us his thoughts. He says, I've come to do the will of the Father. I've come to give what the, the, the teachings of the Father are. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is this, and we've said this in, in Sunday school, that in, in the Old Testament we had all of these pieces of the puzzle of what a Messiah is to look like and be. You know, we, we studied about it in the... Uh, the appearance of Melchizedek this morning in, in, in Sunday school, how that, um, that Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we have this piece of a puzzle of, that Christ is going to be like this Melchizedek. The priesthood of Mel doesn't have a beginning, doesn't have an end. So you take that piece, and then you put another piece, then you put the pieces of, of born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. You take all these pieces of the puzzle, and you have them all stacked up, and then you have the life of Jesus, and you have the life of Christ, and all these pieces that were collected throughout the Old Testament now become the picture and the image of Jesus. And in and, and our life, I, I think of it in the, the text that, that God has these pieces all together, and we're living our life obedient to God, asking God for direction, asking Him for help, asking for His, the input of the Word and the Spirit, and God is helping us to put this puzzle together. 
and he is there working in our life, and, and he, so, so we're there to um, allow the Spirit to teach us, allowing the Spirit to work in our life. Now, um, God, God charts the course. He's the one who puts the course inside of us. He's the one who helps us with our dreams and our aspirations and things. In uh, James chapter 3, <coughs> uh, I, I put this one in here because I, I think of, and, and I don't want us to, I'm not one of those who say, you know, whatever you say, you know, it's, it's gospel. There was a, a teaching years ago that... Uh, God, God's word is eternal, and Christ is in my life, therefore I am eternal, therefore what I say is the same as God saying it, and it's like I'm speaking God's word, and what I say goes. That was garbage, <laughs> and uh, that's not what it means. It means that whenever we, we have to put our lives in alignment with God, we have to put our vocabulary in alignment with what God's vocabulary is. Now, um, you know, I have a cold, whatever, I've been sick, okay. So how are you doing? I'm getting better. Why? Because I'm expecting to get better. <laughs> uh, are, am I well? Uh, no, but I'm getting there. You know, when I was sick, people say, are you sick? Yeah, but I'm getting better. <laughs> so there is an expectation. So our words then become our expectations. So if, if, you, if, you, if you see Jesus, oh, I, this, is where this, I, this is where this thing was. Um, if you see me, do you see Jesus? Now, that's a pretty high, lofty thing. You know, if you, if you hear me preach, it's just like listening to Jesus. <laughs> well, that would be pretty good. That's my goal, but I'm not there. <laughs> now, what happens is that we have this goal of what, what, is, what is the Word of God saying to us, and how does the Word of God influence our thoughts about what we believe? Like, for the coming year, for tomorrow, what do we believe? Do we believe, well, you know, this is going to be the worst year of my life. <laughs> and let me tell you how it's going to be the worst year. And so we can go through this whole thing and outline it. And where are our expectations? Our expectations are in disaster. And we are believing and working towards things failing. Now, where in the Bible does it say to us, believe for destructive behavior and try and find it? <laughs> you know, it doesn't tell us that. The Bible says that we are to do the work of God, do the will of God. Where is the will of God in Christ? Where has it ever been destructive and destroying and tearing people apart and ripping their lives apart and gossiping and, you know, nowhere. So it's a good thing for us to seek good things. It's a good thing for us to speak and to believe for good things. Like in James chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher. Now, I wasn't talking about teacher, teacher, as in uh, history, science, algebra, those types of teachers. Don't be in a rush to become a teacher, meaning uh, a um, teacher of the word, the scriptures. In the, in the early days of the church, after Jesus had ascended to heaven, the disciples were the, the primary teachers. Well, then, there, be, there was a whole onslaught of individuals who consider themselves teachers of the gospel and of the word. So they were running around teaching. And, and um, 
sometimes on the, the History Channel and those things, they have the, uh, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of this guy, the Gospel of that guy. Um, these are ancient writings that have inside information as to what and who Jesus was and all that kind of stuff. They may have been written, but they were not written about Christ, and they do not have a revelation about Jesus. And there is reasons why the ancient fathers and the, and the, the, the established what the canon was, uh, the canon, the context of the scripture. And James is addressing this idea about don't, don't, don't any of you rush out to become a teacher. Don't rush out and think that you've got a corner on God. You've, you've got this revelation and this understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. I've got to go tell somebody, and, and everything that comes to my mind, it's God, and they wrote it down, and there was kind of all different kinds of things that all wrote about them. But that's neither here nor there. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly, irrespons- is, is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to be the stri- to the strictest of standards. Okay? So if you're going to do this, you're going to run out there and be a teacher, you're going to be held to a different standard. Now, none of us is perfectly qualified. So there's no, there's no such thing as a perfect teacher. There's no such thing as a perfect person. There's no, not one of us who has the entire gospel uh, of the revelation of Jesus Christ incarnate in me, and you all need to send me tithes and money and, you know, that doesn't happen. There are people who have, um, just like in the uh, New Testament, there are writers and Paul who has different insights and John has different insights and Peter has different insights. And so there are preachers on the TV and around that have, have the same thing. So uh, if you find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in, perfectly, in perfect control of life. So... We don't have the perfect person in the perfect control of life. But what is he saying here is that how we think and say and do, what we say, we are are looking to be in control of our life. How do we arrive at control of our life? Through what we think, what we say, and what we do. So if our thoughts are betraying to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if our thoughts are betraying us, okay, uh, some of the thoughts are, remember where we came from. God doesn't remind us of where we came from. Who reminds us of where we came from? Generally, the devil, evil, whatever. Because if we can be disheartened, we won't continue to strive on for what is good. You see, God doesn't remind us of our past because God has forgiven us of our past. If God has forgiven us, why why would he bring up the past? See, to God, it's gone. So I'm set free. So God then is... If we want to be in control of our life, then we have to allow the Word of God to speak to us in a way that we let go of our failures in our past and all the things that went wrong. We learn from them. We've learned from them, but we are not perfect, and neither is our past ever going to be used against us again. So, now, what does he go about? Very important lesson here in verses 3. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skillful captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. So you see, (coughs) what we have here is what we say. Now, as a bit in the mouth of a horse, 
you can correct me on this, uh, Terry, if I'm wrong, a bit in the horse's mouth. <laughs> what does it do? It guides. You know, she has a horse. All right. No, it's her husband who puts a bit in his mouth and makes her go. No, no, no. No, she has a horse. <laughs> she has a horse. So the bit will give the direction. So our words will give directions. Our words are like a ship in the fierce, sailing into the wind. You know, sailing into the wind, it takes a tactician. <laughs> Being able to use the wind that's blowing at you to go in the direction of the wind, you have to use it in such a way that you go back and forth and go in the direction of the wind. So our words are ways in which we will use to guide our life. Even in the worst of times, we will be a skillful captain in the use of our words to help us go in the direction of the wind blowing in our face. See? So our words, is the wind blowing in your face? Yes, it is, and it's going to blow me over and blow me off course, and I'm never going to see light again. No. In, a, in the midst of the storm, we are safe. In the midst of the storm, God is with us. He will give direction to our life. So on. So, <clears throat> a word out of your mouth may seem of no account. But it accomplishes nearly anything or destroy it. So whenever we are talking, where am I at? Three minutes left. I'm not close to being done. Part two will be next Sunday. But, uh, <laughs> but this, this is such an important thing to, to look over and to read because a word, a word will be something that will give us direction, give us hope, will give us courage. Now, it, giving courage is, don't worry, it'll be okay. That's not, that's not giving courage. Because number one, who's going to make it okay? Fate? The stars? Me? No, God is. So whenever we pray and we're asking God to help us, we're going to pray what we believe the word of God says. All things work together for good. God, this, if we only know one scripture, we know that God is going to work this out. We've got it in place. God is going to do it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set a forest afire. A spark can burn millions of acres. One word can build and help lots of people. It can destroy. We don't think of the words. You know, like our, our society thinks nothing of destroying people's lives, you know, on hearsay, you know. While well, it was said, did you hear? You know, we have inf inside information. We can't quote it. But, and they got all this stuff going on of what has been said. And if they, people didn't say it, well, you just make it up. Let them prove that it's not true. And, and so in our lives, we need to recognize that our words are part of who we are. And we want our words to be healing for us and for other people. And if it didn't happen, don't say it. And if it did happen, and it's not building somebody up, we don't need to talk about it. And if somebody says something that we want, they're, they're going to try to destroy someone, we don't need to hear that. We don't need their garbage dumped in our lives. So we're looking at how that we are to be courageous, be courage, to give, be courageous, to add courage. It's by, <clears throat> it's by listening to what we say. And, and you know, again, it's, being, it's listening to what we say combined with the Word of God, combined with the Holy Spirit. See, it isn't mind over matter. It isn't 
if I speak this, I create this. No, God in me and God, his life in me, gives me hope, and from the place of hope, I speak about my faith, and I believe for these things to happen. I'm trusting that they'll happen. Well, what if they don't? Well, what if they do? You know, if they don't happen, then God didn't, didn't want it to happen, and he'll give me something else that will go in that direction. So our faith and our words are learning what the, script, what the truth of the scripture is. Um, <laughs> verse 7, and, and I'll, I'll close with this one. Uh, this is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame your tongue. <laughs> the tongue runs wild, a wanton, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father, and with the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth? You see, we can't be both. You can't, if God has put something in your heart, then we've got to talk about it. And love and forgive and and be able to do the right things for the right reasons. And my final thought is going back to, I, I, I had, um, let me get his name here, so I do it correctly, Jordan Smith, who last week sang, um, Mary, did you know? Well, today he is going to sing for us, Climb Every Mountain. <laughs> because with the tongue, we determine the direction of our life and the destiny, and overcoming is very much a part of the Christian life. Overcoming. and it is you know and not only is it a moving song for us physically and you know but spiritually God says those very same things to us don't give up that there's mountains in front of you if you have faith as a grain of mustard so you can say to this mountain be moved climb every mountain you see, we're looking at and seeing the obstacles, but from inside we're hearing the voice of God. And the voice of God is his spirit and his word saying, I can do all things. Say unto this mountain, be moved. That um, it is not the will of God that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. I mean, we're, we're looking at how the God is at work in our lives to touch us and to touch the lives of others. And sometimes that touch is just a hug or is a word of encouragement. A touch and saying, you know what, God will be with you and help you through this. And the flood of God's presence comes over that person and it's a God moment. What did we do? We gave a word of encouragement and God was able to break into that. The song is able to break into our soul, our hearts, and give us that moment, a God moment, that things are going to be okay. (laughs) Amen? Let's stand. So, Father, we thank you (laughs) that there is no mountain too high, no valley too low, no river that is too wide, no obstacle that is too great. There is no difficulty that cannot be solved. There is only you, God, who speaks hope 
and peace and direction to our lives. And so, Lord, let our minds, our hearts, our spirits, and our words, our words, O God, align with your spirit and your word to speak the truth of your love within us, about us, and about our family. For God, it is your will that that we be saved and our household. We believe these truths, Lord, and we pray for our families. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Climb the mountain.